Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm your host. ODAT is an acronym for one day at a time that I picked up in early sobriety and something that's stuck with me every day since. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Blue, how are we doing? We're doing great, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here on the pod. Absolutely. We're, we're really happy to have you. Um, so why don't you go ahead and start us off by telling us uh, who you are, where you're from, what you do for a living? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, uh, my name is Blue Robinson. I'm a licensed mental health therapist and addiction substance abuse counselor, a duly licensed there, if that means anything. But uh, no, I am uh, I'm in, I'm in active recovery. I've been clean now for 25 years from all drugs and alcohol. And after having a, a, a crazy experience um, in my, my teen years and, and young adult life, um, decided to do what I call erase and replace and turn my mess into a very powerful message. And with a lot of help from some amazing people that inspired me, I, uh, I went through school, got my degrees and started a nonprofit program here 10 years ago, this, this last month, 10 years ago, uh, called Addict to Athlete. It's a program that helps people overcome addictions through, through health, wellness, exercise and team relationships, building family relationships. And so it's quite a journey, man, quite a story, but I'm, and I'm, I look forward to sharing it with you and your listeners. Oh, for sure. And uh, it's definitely exciting. I know when I found when I found everything on Instagram, um, I just I, I it made me want to dive in immediately. There's a lot of cool stuff, um, a lot of great links, information, um, just doing some really, really cool stuff. Uh, and you're definitely a huge advocate for the community and the exact kind of person that we want to have on here. Um, so we're definitely going to give you more opportunities to talk about what addict to athlete uh, really is and really dive into the details and the nooks and crannies there later on. Um, but before we get there, uh, why don't you tell us about uh, your your early on years in life? Um, I know you said you had your first experience with a drinker drug at 15 years old. So why don't you kind of summarize your first 14 years or so of life? Yeah, man, it, it, it's uh, it's super important because I understand that all this stuff comes from somewhere. I'm a firm believer that uh, all addictions come from some kind of pain we, we, we experience, something that sucks, something that hurts. Um, a lot of times we don't realize it until later on down the line, but usually it happens because of some adverse issues that happen when we're young. And that was my story to a T. Uh, I am the fourth of, of uh, four kids, uh, the youngest in my family to a mother who was kind of a child herself. She got married when she was 14 years old. So my mom was a kid having kids and that caused a lot of emotional problems in her life, which she subsequently poured onto us as her children. And because of, of the, the nature by which my mother was raised and kind of in that, that boomer kind of mentality of like, you're not going to tell me what to do right during the hippie movement and all that kind of stuff, right? She decided that she's going to you know, take off and, and you know, plot her own course. And that put her on a, on a projection of, of just a lot of chaos and a lot of like uh, emotional turbulence. And so she got married when she was 14 years old. She had two kids, my oldest brother, my, my oldest sister. Um, they got the, the divorce, you know, not too long after my, my, my siblings were born, because obviously when you get married at 14, you don't have a lot of emotional investments. And so she got divorced from, from her first husband, promptly married another guy who was an alcoholic and drug addict from Las Vegas. Um, his addictions kind of, I guess, influenced her. She had another child, my, my sister, and uh, obviously that relationship still didn't work because of all the issues that were kind of bubbling up. And then she met my 
biological father at a bar who was he was a uh, he was a marine at the time just coming back from vietnam um he had a uh, uh a kind of a quick little stint and what i found out like recently was that my mom only married him kind of like a kind of like on the fly and she wasn't married to him very long but as soon as i was born um they moved us to north north dakota where i was born my my biological dad i guess was a very heavy uh, alcohol abuser and so she kept getting in these relationships with these guys that uh, that were not real healthy people. Um, but in the middle of the night, in a, in, a, in, a, in a North Dakota winter, she scooped all of us kids up, me as an infant, and traveled back here to Utah. And uh, yeah, that just kind of continued, man. So we had our family, but we all have different dads. We all have different last names. We grew up in extreme poverty. Um, and I didn't really know this growing up until uh, I started getting a little bit older, my teen years, but she got, my mother was married and divorced six times. And so she put us through the ringer. We moved 22 times by the time I was 18. And so we never really had a, a place to like land or, or plant roots. And the guys that she would get, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, comfortable with, they all had these addiction issues. It was like the only pond she would fish in would be these people. And it always kind of, you know, made me wonder when I got older, like, why did she sacrifice her own emotional well-being for these, these people? But uh, she came back here. I you know, grew up all over the place. Like I said, very poor. Um, you know, we, she married one guy who was, his name was Paul. And Paul, I think, was the devil himself. This man was extremely abusive. I carry scars on my body because of Paul um, just being very abusive. He was a, a drug dealer and he would deal drugs out of our, our, uh, our home when we lived here in Utah and uh, burnt our house down to try to collect insurance money. And so she put us through a lot of these chaotic things. And to me, it was just kind of normal. You know, it was kind of like, this is our life. I had no clue. So with that kind of upbringing, with that kind of, uh, I guess, uh, you know, background, it was almost guaranteed that us kids were going to end up with some kind of addiction, being screwed up some kind of way. And I watched the pattern begin. I watched my oldest brother move out when he was young. He's probably you know, 13. He moved in with his biological family because my mom was kind of like off her rocker. My oldest sister, she kind of took the place as the mom during periods of divorce and marriages and, and all these things. And so really my sister is the one who raised us. And then my youngest sister, her, her biological father passed away. And so she had all this all this, you know, anxiety and animosity towards uh, not being able to understand and know her side of the family. And then here's me, who really didn't have any connection to any family other than my mom. So during Christmases and stuff, whether the stepdad or the, the biological dad would come take all their siblings away, I'd be home alone with mom, and she'd be drinking and pilling out and all this kind of stuff. And so I never got a lot of what they got. So, but me being the youngest, I got to watch the way that they all acted, interacted, what pissed my mom off, what didn't. So I kind of knew how to fly under the radar, which came to, you know, to, to my advantage, I thought, when I was, got a little older. But uh, by the time we were, you know, I guess a little bit more stable, a little bit more older, my mom married a, a man whose name was Larry. This was her fifth marriage. And uh, he was, he, he kind of came into our lives uh, right at the tail end of everyone's, you know, stay. Everyone was kind of leaving at that point. Um, but he was kind of like a stable guy for the longest period of time. I think she was married to him for about 10, 10 9, 10 years. And I'll tell you, man, like I, we didn't get along because I always felt that like dads equal abuse and neglect. And so I didn't really bond with him as much as I now look back now. I wish I could have because he really did want to be kind of that role model, but it was too late. And so 
about, you know, age 14, 15 years old, um, I got introduced to alcohol and it was kind of like this, again, this is another benchmark because we all had experienced it. Um, but mine was a little bit different, I noticed, in my, in my family. See, I would kind of use my friends and I would get introverted and I'd kind of like, you know, kind of get a little bit more in my head and start thinking a lot more, start doing the deeper thoughts and thinking, you know, like, man, this is opening up my mind. And and that turned into, you know, other things like, like you know, methamphetamine, LSD, um, you know, marijuana, all this stuff, man, you name it, we used it. And uh, it got really kind of crazy. And I'll tell you, from about age 15 all the way up to about age 20, 21, man, I was pushing limits. And I dropped out of high school. Um, you know, I was like, who, who has time for school, you know? And so I was a high school dropout, which kind of set the, the tone for every one of my family members. None of my family members made it that far. And so I thought, this is it. This is how it's going to be. This will be my life. And then one day I got a job working with youth. I was 21 years old. I was working with youth at a treatment center. My job was to be a courier. I took them to and these, these troubled youth, these you know, residential treatment center for kids. My job was to take them to the doctor's appointments, take them to the airport, you know, go home on home visits, kind of be that transportation guy who, who you know, we had like, a, like 80 kids at this facility. So we were always going to places with these kids. I started noticing when they were talking to me, um, they'd open up a lot. They, they, I don't know if we, we couldn't talk about our issues with these kids, obviously, but I could tell I'm like, man, these kids have a lot of the same things I've gone through. And I kind of felt a little bit of purpose with these guys. And I felt like, you know, I got to be clean. I got to be sober because at a moment's notice, I could be called into work to help one of these kids. And I don't want to be, you know, coming down off of a, a weekend or whatever and, and not be able to fulfill a responsibility that I felt like I had with these guys. And so I kind of lost myself in work, man. Started separating myself from family and from friends because I would pick up all these shifts because I really enjoyed working with the youth. And uh, a guy approached me and he said, hey, um, Blue, you seem to be doing really good with these kids in addiction. And uh, you know, they had no idea that I, you know, closet addict, so to speak. And he said, there's a new program starting here up at the University of Utah. It's called the, uh, the LSAC program. It's a licensed substance abuse counselor program. Dude, I haven't graduated high school at this point. And I'm like, oh, I'll look into it and stuff. But at the same time, I met my wife, Marissa, who you've been in contact with. Okay. She's a recreational therapist who's working at the same treatment center. We kind of connected and started, you know, you know, taking notes of each other and kind of like hanging out a little bit more through and through. Um, but I lied through my teeth, man. I'd been clean for about, you know, three or four months at this time because I wanted to just, you know, throw myself into this job. Um, but like, dude, I, I lied. I lied about my job because I, I thought, you know, if they find out I didn't graduate high school, I'll lose this job. So I lied about everything. And so when this person finally came in to like tap into my heart, I'm like, I can't tell her the truth. If she knows who I am, like it'll be game over. So even though I'd started this path of recovery, not realizing it, I was still very much in that addict mindset. And dude, I'll tell you, man, uh, a friend of mine at that program, I let in and kind of started telling him a little bit more about me. And then he went and told her and that kind of ruined my plan. I'm like, you bugger, man. Why would you do me dirty? <laughs> like you told her all my secrets. I liked Marissa so much um, that I did. I got honest with her. It was the very first time I felt like I could be myself. And that was nuts, man, because when we were growing up and, and through the abuse and through you know, all, this, all this craziness my mom put us through, we moved so often that it didn't matter what I said to whoever, by the time a lie or, or something would catch up with me, we'd be gone. 
So I had to make friends fast. So I'd lie. I, I would, you know, make myself bigger than I was and pretend and it never mattered. But this time it like, it mattered because I was kind of staying put and I'm like, oh, piss. So it kind of caught up with me. Um, she's Marissa was like, Hey, I like you, but you have some screws loose, man. If you want to have any chance of having a relationship with me, you need to go get some therapy, some help. And I'm like, what the flip? You know? And I knew what therapy was because I was working at this treatment center and I know I knew the therapist and I'm like, all right, I, I can weasel my way out of this. So I go into therapy the very first time and, and, you know, trust me, man, I had some heavy duty lies under this belt of mine. I was like, I made up this fictitious persona about who I was, what I'd accomplished. Um, and so when I sat down with this therapist for the very first time, he's like, and I told him my story and a little bit, you know, more in detail and stuff. Uh, he's like, Blue, I know exactly what your problem is. He's like, you have no idea who you are. And I kind of like looked at him like, I spent an hour talking to you and that's the best you can give me. I don't know who I am. And it kind of, it pissed me off. So I stood up and I'm like, this is a waste of time. Gave him the, you know, good day, sir, kind of mentality. And I started to walk out. He was like, no, I'm serious. And I'm like, nah, I said, that's a rhetorical question. You can't answer, but nice try. And I left, went home to my, 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 my girlfriend's house, Marissa at the time. And I said, Hey, I'm done with therapy. I'm finished. You know? And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm done. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, he asked me a stupid question and it's just one of those things. They just want to suck you dry with money. I'm like, it's, it's a big waste of time. She's like, well, what did he ask you? And so I told her and man, I'll tell you when I said, I said, he asked me who I was and you can't answer that question. It's just rhetorical. It's therapeutic jargon. It's, it's, it's not answerable. And she's like, I can answer it. And I'm like, well, really, who are you? And damn, dude, she did. She told me who she was. And it wasn't just, you know, like, like her name and her height and all this stuff. It was like what made her her, her morals, her values, her belief systems, her goals, her dreams, her bucket list, all this stuff that made her uniquely her. And I'm sitting there staring at myself in this mirror, you know, 22, 23 years old. And I'm like, I have no idea who I am. And it kind of scared me because I'm like, this, this isn't normal. Maybe this isn't normal. So I went back to the therapist and apologized for being a jerk and uh, started working on some stuff, started figuring out where all this was coming from. At the same time, I got back into adult high school. I became the very first person in my family to ever graduate with a diploma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, high school, dude, I, who thought, right? That's, that's super awesome. I actually have that. Uh, I have that achievement as well, too. So it's like, yeah. sh shout out when you can break the cycle for something like that. No, serious, man. It was cool because like, you know, and, and it was just Marissa there and Marissa, some of Marissa's family because we were dating at the time and she's like, well, well, we're not going any further until you get your high school diploma. I'm like, well, that's great motivation. I can get that. Right. So I get the high school diploma as adult, which was kind of funny. Um, and then uh, she's like, Blue, you should, you should go and, and get into school. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know how hard it was to finish high school? <laughs> and so she talked me into jumping into a couple classes at the, at the community college. And I thought, there's no way, man. I had to have her walk me to the first day of school. Like, like honestly, when, when I went to get my high school, to, or my, my college, uh, she walked me to class. I had no idea what I was doing. And I felt like such a poser. Um, and the cool thing was, is that, man, it, it just kind of connected with me. I'm like, maybe I'm not stupid. Maybe I'm not dumb. I mean, I never started and finished a, a, a year in school. We always moved. So I was always in the resource classes. I was always behind. And so I always kind of felt like I was pulling the wool over people's eyes. But then here we were like in college now and I'm going through all this stuff. I take that guy up on, on an opportunity to go to uh, you know, the University of Utah to get uh, this, this degree to go and start doing licensed counseling. 
Um, and so I started becoming this, this semi-professional. But the problem was, is that as I was going to school, after I got my, my, degree, my, uh, my license to practice substance abuse counseling, I started getting caught in math, man. And for some reason, I could not do math. And it was nuts. It was like I, I tested two degrees below even getting credit for math. And so here I am, this, this recovering addict trying to like, you know, pretend that I'm this, this you know, professional and, and I'm like, I can't do this. And long story short, man, it was, it was horrible, man. Like I almost got kicked out of school because of academic probation because I could do great in all my other classes, but math wouldn't work. And so my wife's like, you know, her family, her mother was a, a resource teacher and she's like, Blue, there's something wrong. I'm like, I know. And so her mom's like, let me get you in to see a professional and get you tested. So she gets me tested and I find out that I have a math learning disability that I found out later in life comes from abusive family cycles. There's usually the two things kids struggle in if they come from abusive uh, family systems are math or English, because those are the things that you have to articulate. And so I'm now getting pissed that my upbringing is now holding me back from things that I feel like I can achieve. And they're like, cool, let's give you extra, you know, extra testing time. You can use a calculator, but that's not how my brain works, man. I'm like, I just sit in this empty room staring at a paper. Like how do, what do I even plug in here? Um, <laughs> dude, it was a nightmare because I almost gave up, but, but uh, through a lot of just, just talking and advocating for myself, I ended up becoming one of the only kids and, and, and students ever to graduate with my bachelor's degree, not taking math because they were able to substitute it because of some of the, some of the, the advocation that I did for myself. And uh, I ended up not having to take math. They, they, they substitute it for computer classes, which is so much more applicable. So it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, you know, don't let anyone ever tell you, no, you can, you know, you can do everything they tell you, but I'm telling you, like, there's a way to get through these things. Long story short, in order to graduate without having math at this university, they said, I'll never be able to go get my master's degree because no school will take me without having that on my transcript. Though it made me write a letter to the dean and to put it in my, my file at the school that I would never pursue a master's degree because, um, you know, they don't want it to come back on the school. So I wrote this stupid letter. I found out later that it was very illegal what they had me do because that's the, you know, the Americans with Disability Act. But I wrote the letter saying I wouldn't. I wouldn't, uh, you know, go pursue it. As soon as I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I went and, you know, <laughs> applied for a master's degree, you know, advanced school, got in. When I graduated with my master's degree uh, to do therapy and counseling, I sent my diploma to the school and said, put this next to that letter I wrote that said I couldn't do it. It's kind of like a, a little bit of a, a you know, of fuck a, you. <laughs> a, yeah, absolutely, man. Middle <laughs> finger for sure. And it was crazy, man, because I never thought I would do that. But the biggest issue that kind of like still still affects me today is that I'm the only one in my family that knows what I've done. And when I graduated, the day I graduated from college, from my master's degree program, I sent my mother an invitation. I said, hey, I know you're living in New York right now. Um, I'm graduating with my master's degree from college. I would love it to have you if you could be there. She's like, oh my gosh. She's like, I'm, I'm in Utah right now. I could totally do this. She's like, when is that? I'm like, it's Saturday. It's at 11 o'clock. She's like, oh, um, so I fly out Saturday at two. And I'm like, the fantastic. The, the building we're, we're, we're using is literally a mile and a half away from the airport. You could walk there in 20 minutes. And she's like, oh, okay. And she never showed up, man. And I remember I got looking like, I feel, up. I just got like all that big smile on my face for yeah. you. I got like, so excited. I was like, I was like ready to like hit nah. the, that's so, oh man. That's, no, man. That's I remember looking terrible. up searching the, the balconies for him. And I saw my, my wife at that time I had, I, I had two or three of the, of the four kids I had, I had three of them up there. 
and I had my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and that was it. And I'm like, hmm, noted. And it, and it kind of like reminded me of all the stuff that she said she would do and never do. And so it's kind of funny. Here I am like this adult having my own family and I'm still like kind of like gutted that like the person who gave me life doesn't care. And so I started realizing real fast that that relationship is never going to be what I thought it was. And it fueled my addiction. And so long story short, brother, after all of that, and that is the, the Cliff Notes version, um, after all of that, I got into doing counseling with addiction and, and was very good at it. But what I realized is that my community that I, that I loved and, and worked in, because I worked for a government program, uh, you know, for counseling and therapy, I noticed that they all, we had them do, like when I was a therapist, we had this outpatient program every day, the clients would come in, they'd do group counseling in the morning, individual counseling, they'd go to their drug court, you know, like uh, case manager, they'd go to the judge, they'd see the probation officer, then they'd go to work. And then we required them to go to three meetings, like outside of group, to show us that they're taking care of themselves outside on their own time. The problem was, is one day I get back to group and I'm looking at these guys and they're all kind of huddled around the back of a pickup truck. And I'm like, my clients are kind of huddling together. They're up to no good. So I snuck up behind them and gave them the, hey, what are you guys doing? They turn around, they're like, oh, blue, we're, we're busted. They were, like, they were like forging their sign-off sheets for the chair of the meetings to say they were there. Uh, I'm like, what are you guys doing, man? I'm like, that's, that's addict behavior, man. What are you guys doing? And they're like, Blue, we love, we love group. We love what you're teaching. We love the therapy and all this. But outside of this, man, it's like the, the meetings over here, they're not healthy. And I'm like, we like, you know, we're not connecting with them. And I couldn't really argue with them because they were right. And I'm like, well, yeah, why do we have them do this? If we only have in our community 12 step meetings, which is fine. But if it doesn't work for some people, well, then what? And so I'm like, I can't really get upset with them. I mean, obviously what they were doing was dumb, but I'm like, you guys are good to bring to attention something we need to fix. And so I'm a firm believer that if you find something that's wrong, you got to fix it. Yeah. And so I remember what happened with me when I first started getting clean, I bought a mountain bike and it stayed there as wall art until one day I'm like, I'm going to take this stupid mountain bike. I was watching TV early in my recovery. And all I was doing, man, is watching TV and my, 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 my friends, were the flipping friends on TV, Monica, Chandler, Ross, you know, <laughs> from, from friends. And My I'm like, you guys suck. Favorite show. Yeah, dude. So I'm like, I'm like, I can't watch this anymore. I love it. But I took this mountain bike up. I started mountain biking and I bumped into these two guys who were mountain bikers up in the mountains and the foothills I live at. And uh, they said something super profound to me that day. They said, Hey, are you lost? And I'm like, dude, yeah. I have no idea where I am. I have no water, no helmet. They're like, okay, well, follow us down. We'll, we'll take you to the trailhead. And they did. And I was watching the way they were, they were riding it. And they'd break at certain spots. They'd jump over things at certain spots. And I'm like, I'm just going to watch what these guys are doing so I don't kill myself. I get down. The guy's like, hey, we come up here all the time. But get a helmet. Don't wear Levi shorts up here. And get something to hold water, man. You're going to kill yourself up here. And I thought, huh. So I went and got a mountain biking magazine and literally that's where addict to athlete was kind of born to a certain degree as I'm thinking, I don't know, I'm no longer an addict, but like these guys didn't even ask me if I had an addiction or they didn't ask me if I had anything or if I had connections. They looked at me as a mountain biker, even though I was a novice, they looked at me this way. And so I thought there's something to this. So really dude, I faked it until I became it, which was started you know, buying the things that I saw other people buy. I started like writing and that's kind of how like athletics helped me move from addict to something else. I'm not a, I'm not a firm guy who likes calling myself an addict. I've been clean now for over 25 years. And to me, I'm thinking that's gone. 
it's a part of me, but it's not who I am. And so that premise of me, you know, then getting into running with my father-in-law and he's like, Hey, if you want to marry my daughter, you have to come run a marathon with me. And I'm like, Whoa. all right, what's that? And so I'm like, I sign up for it. I have no idea what it is. My, my wife's like, are you nuts? That's 26 mile run. 26.2. Don't, yeah. don't sell yeah, shy. The point. Point two. That, that point two is a bitch at the it's end. A, it's a beast. <laughs> and so here I am like thinking, all right, I just, you know, stumbled into it. Um, but the cool thing is when I was training with my father-in-law, uh, I was having these father-son relationship conversations and it helped me so much, Max. I'm like, this is all the stuff that I missed. Like I never had this. And so really working out health and recreation, um, it became a huge part of my sobriety. It gave me purpose to stay clean. And so when I'm thinking about these guys who only have this 12 step community, which again, is fine, but, but what else? I thought, what if I create something that um, helped me? And so I had the idea of, of Addict to Athlete. And so what we did is I went to my bosses and I'm like, hey, I have this idea. I want to present to, to, to the, uh, you know, the, the county commissioners, which are my, my, my bosses, right? And I'm like, I want to take five people to do a training exercise with them, to train them in couch to 5K, to run a 5K you know, run, which is you know, 3.1 miles. And they're all like, okay, this is really weird, but you know, what happens if they die? What happens if they get sick? What happens if they you know, puke or whatever? I'm like, I'm CPR certified. I can handle this, right? I went down to my group. I had about 45 clients at the time. And I said, who wants to try this? And, and six of them raised their hand. You know, five of them raised their hand. Five, four, four guys and one girl. And uh, they're like, we'll do this. And so every morning we would get up. I'd have them come an hour early before a group started. We'd stretch, we'd talk a little bit, we'd go out for our run. We did couch to 5K, which you've probably heard of. It's that slow you know, progression of, of endurance, right? So you run for, you know, for 30 seconds, you know, walk for 45 seconds, and you just kind of slowly build up. But the craziest thing happened, man, is as I'm out there running with these clients, this is the first time, I mean, therapist, client, there's some, this is the first time anyone's ever done something like this. And so therapist, client, I'm starting to notice as we're running, they're talking to me about all kinds of stuff they never told me in my office. They're telling me about, about problems they've had, about situations they've tried to overcome. And I'm like, why are you guys you know, being so open out here about therapy when we're not even talking about therapy, but you guys are being open about this stuff, but you're not in my office. I'm like, it's public out here. People can hear you talking about your problems and issues. But as we're training, I remember one day specifically, there was a girl named Janice. Bless her heart, man. She was, we're running. And we're training and she's like, she's like, Blue, I got to stop. And I'm like, no, Janice, I'm like, run to the corner. We're almost to the corner. Just run to the corner. So we run to the corner and I'm noticing that she's still got some, some spunk in her. So I'm like, hey, Janice, how about we run to the back of that red pickup truck up there a little further? It's about a half block away. So we run to the, the red pickup and I notice that she's slowing down, but she's still going. I'm like, hey, now to that stop sign. And so we run to the stop sign. I can tell that she's slowing down, but she's still going. So I'm like, now to the to the slide at the park and we run a little bit further and when we get there and we stop dude she just breaks down and starts bawling just starts crying and i'm like oh crap i broke her like i'm i'm screwed i'm in trouble and she's like i'm like janice what's wrong and she's like she's a coach i do this all the time she's like i give up on myself so much i always have so much more left but i give up i give up on my kids i give up on my family i give up on life i pull up when i know i have more energy in me and she's like i always do this and she's just just pissed with herself and i'm like oh my gosh she's she's making metaphorical connections with like having stuff in the tank and still putting still producing and 
And it was a huge eye opener for her, but we had those conversations like this all the time, man. So we're training for this 5k um, right before this 5k. The funny, it was called chase the mayor 5k in Provo. It was hilarious. Like they give the mayor of Provo, Utah, a three minute, a two minute head start. And then you chase him. I'm like, you know, pat him on the butt as you run by. Hey, good job, mayor. Right. I have no <laughs> idea the gimmick behind it, but that's, that was the premise. The cool thing is that the starting line and finish line was right outside of our group door, like right there. It started right here. So oh, wow. we ran the course. And so it was, it was perfect. The day comes, I show up because I'm like, Hey, I want to see these guys run. Their families come. Cause they're like, we want to see these guys die. No one runs in our family. What the heck is you know, recovering heroin addicts <laughs> and whatnot. Right before we start, one of the guys named Tyson hands out these shirts that say addict to athlete racing for recovery. And I'm like, you guys sure you should be wearing these? Because if you do this, you're going to break anonymity and people are going to know. And they're like, we don't care. We're like, we feel good about what we're doing. I'm like, all right. They put these shirts on. They let the mayor go. Two minutes later, the, the, the team the, the, or the, you know, the runners pack takes off, chases them. And I'm just sitting there at the end waiting for them. And I'm talking to their family members and stuff. And dude, it was crazy because on that run, all but one athlete caught the mayor. And I can only imagine what the mayor thought when he, he saw these guys. And he's like, these ex-heroin addicts are beating me. Like, what the crap? And it was awesome because the mayor stops the first kid, Tyson. He's like, dude, addict to athlete, what is that? And so here's now Tyson, who is a recovering heroin addict, having a conversation with the mayor of a major city in Utah about addiction recovery, about where he's coming from, about you know advocating and, and, and having a testimony of his, of his sobriety. And the mayor's like, wow. And he had that conversation with the three other, three other folks. And so they come in, they finish, and they're just like, dude, they're so happy. I remember watching them finish 10 years ago, and they were, they were like so accomplished. They're like, we did this, you know, and, and their families were like, oh, I didn't think you could do it, you know, and each of them kind of waited for the next one, and a couple of them went out there and, and ran in the next runner, and, and, and it was awesome. I thought, well, that was a cool experience. This helped these guys, and you know, so we go home, and next Monday, I go to work, and my boss calls me into his office, and he's like, the commissioners want to talk to you. And I'm like, the county commissioners, I'm like, crap, what did they do? I thought, did, did one of them really like, like smack the mayor's butt or something? Am I in trouble? And the mayor had contacted the commissioners and said, I don't know what this is, but these clients told me that this is a county program. He's like, I love it. He's like, keep it going. So that gave me a green light to keep doing what we were doing. 10 years later now from five athletes, we have about 6,000 plus that participate on the team. We have chapters all yeah. over the country. We're growing wow. and at the prison and all this kind of stuff. And, and really dude, if you look at it, it was an excuse to go running at lunchtime for me that turned into this recovery modality um, independent of, of anything else. We created it from the ground up. So it's kind of, it's been a man, it's been a rush. It's, it sounds like a lot. And I mean, you definitely, you, you threw a lot at us there. So I kind of want to like yeah. dissect little parts here and there as well. Um, for our listeners and try and like kind of proactively think of some of their questions. Um, yeah. First one that, that pops off my, off my mind. Cause I also am a child of addiction myself. Um, your mother, and you can obviously just skip this question altogether. If you're not comfortable with it, does your mother identify as someone with addiction in recovery or, and I, I, I mainly asked that cause you said you saw her drinking and, and, and pill popping and all that. Um, and she's missing important moments in her son's life. So does she identify as someone with an addiction or is, or is that something that she just kind of just at her own pace type thing or. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Great question. Very good. Great question. She does not, she doesn't think that the things that she does uh, is considered addiction because, you know, I think there's a lot of, I don't want to admit it. 
the problem with the relationship I had with her was once I started getting clean and once I started kind of having life, um, she became very jealous. And what I didn't realize is that me being the youngest, she put a lot of her emotional uh, baggage onto my plate. And I very willingly accepted it because I thought that was my job. And so when I started getting healthy and started breaking traditions and started breaking habits and started seeking out healthy people, she got very upset and um, did some things uh, that really kind of showed me that like, do you really care about me? Because the way you're acting and the things that you're doing, um, it's really hurtful. You know, things like um, when, when we first were married, uh, I, got a, I got a bill in the mail. And my mom had transferred a, a five, $600 cell phone bill into my name. This is back in like 2000 when only the only elite people had cell phones, man. And I'm like, I never had a cell phone. And here's this $800 bill that shows up, whatever. Right. And my wife at the time, she's like, all right, is this, do you have a cell phone? Because I know you have a history of lying. And so here's this bill with your name on it. And I'm like, no, I don't have a cell phone. You just seen it. She's like, but do you? So I'm like tracking this down. I find out that, you know, through the, through the, uh, the, the provider that, um, you know, he's like, I can't tell you who, who signed your name over, but her initials are, SR. And I'm like, that's my mom. So I call my mom and I'm like, Hey, what is this? And she's like, Oh, I have no idea. I don't have no idea why, how that would happen. How strange. And so is that kind of crap that she put me through? But that day, man, that was like in 2001. No, it was 2000. And uh, I said, um, I'm like, look, I'm like, this is not okay with me. You're going to change this back. I'm not paying for a phone bill that, you know, like we're just barely starting. Like literally we've been married maybe three or four months. And she just gave me the hardest time. And dude, that was it for me. I'm like, I'm done with this. And so I said, look, I said, you, you have been nothing, you know, but, but a terrible mother to me. You've put me through hell. You've you put me in situations where, where I have scars on my body because of men you brought in. And she got really upset real fast. And she's like, you don't talk to me that way. I'm like, I need you to listen to me. And she's like, I don't ever want to talk to you again. And I'm like, be very careful because I will respect that. And she hung up on me. And I'm like, oh, hell no, right? So I like, like go to the table, you know, start, you know, grab a pen, you know, letter to the editor. And I started writing this letter to my mom. And it was like, I, I needed to get it out. And it was crazy, man, because it was the first time, like I really needed her to hear me. And so I, I wrote this, this letter. It was like probably nine, 10 pages, right? Front and back. When I folded this stupid thing up and I put it in, in an envelope, it took like four stamps, right? And uh, I, I like <laughs> to joke that when the- yeah, dude. I like to joke that when the devil proofread my letter, he's like, are you sure you want to you wanna send this? I'm like, yeah, devil, I want to send this. Because I wanted her to hear me for the first time ever. I thought she needs to know what she put me through. She needs to know through all the abuse that, she, that I suffered, all the things I saw. She needs to know. And all I want is an apology, you know? And so I go, I remember going to the, to, to the mailbox, man, and I'm holding this letter by the corner of it. And I'm like, if I drop this, things are going to change. And I do. And it falls in. And I'm like, well, it's done seven years later. And that's about, that's about the time when I was graduating from college, seven years later. Um, she never, not, not a word, not a, not a birthday wish, not a, nothing. I started having my own family, started having children that she's never seen and, and nothing. Um, and then one, one day and, and like years and years later, I get this Christmas card in the mail and it said uh, in the time of Christ, because she spelt Christ wrong, we should all forgive one another. And I thought, ah, she's read it. She did read it then. And for me, that was enough. I'm like, okay, but dude, that's, you know, now that's been, you know, 14 years ago. 
and I don't have a relationship with her. And the problem is, is because every time I do, it doesn't, it, it becomes a ripping on blue, ripping on blue family. I'm the only one in my family that's ever created something for myself. And so I become the enemy. And so I don't have that. She's never identified herself as an addict. She thinks that what she's done is, is the way that it was done. She had the nerve to tell me one time that I am who I am because of her, which, you know, wow. made me upset, but I was like, I get where she's coming from. So it's kind of one of those things where I, I adopted the philosophy that's a privilege to have a relationship with me. It's not a right. And I teach that to my clients, my athletes, everything that when someone violates the privilege um, because they think it's a right, then they don't need to hang. And it sounds very conceited, but it kept me safe. And so the sad part about it is I have a very superficial relationship with my family, with my mother, but it's because if I allowed them in because of their addictions, because of their they're, they're just, they're just darkness. I'd get sucked back into it. And so I need to protect my family now and my, my lifestyle. And, you know, I'm there if they need me, I'll show up, but I'm, you know, I have limits, I have boundaries. And that was hard, man. I mean, you're, you're talking to me now, you know, 22 years, you know, past any of that stuff. So it, it wasn't easy, but no, she doesn't, she never will. I mean, you really were set up for, I guess almost for failure, so to speak. I mean, between, between the men coming in and out and, mm -hmm. and the physical abuse that you had to deal with and seeing all that, I mean, uh, I mean, you're, you're pretty much, you were, you were given, given the gasoline, you were, you were given the matches, you were giving everything. And it's pretty much at that point, all you have to do is start picking up yourself to just set everything on fire around you. Um, and I, and I will say, and hopefully yeah. you understand what I'm saying with this, um, I will say to, to a point, your, your mom is right that you wouldn't be who you are without all that shit that she put you through. But I say that from a way of you had to overcome all that, not in a way where to give her any credit for doing anything right. It's not like, it's not like she, yeah. she put you out at a job and said, Hey, go do this and work hard and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's, it's not something that she should get credit for, but to a point, I mean, you are who you are today because you were you had to become so strong and had to overcome so much at a young age. Um, but again, it's just not something mm -hmm. that someone should ever brag or get credit for. It's not like it's not like she helped you exactly. get a job at 14 and taught you a work ethic. It was it was a complete different no. aspect the way you had to learn things. Um, uh, la yeah, it's that's 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 rough. And I, I'm sorry that you, you had to go through all that and, you know, with her missing that, that college graduation, but again, here you are now. And it's, it's, I'm sure it's only made you stronger, yeah. both, both metaphorically and quite literally um, with, with getting out there yeah. and the stuff you're doing um, now, now mm -hmm. getting in into the, the biking as well, or, or, and, and I also want to say too, I mean, you're, your, your whole story hearing that like ages, especially from like that 21 to like 25 range when you start getting back into school. I mean, it's, you really were like the embodiment of like the fake it to make it mentality. It's like, just say Seriously. whatever got to get me yeah. here and we'll figure out the rest. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Just, and it's, you know, for some people can really, some people just do that their entire life. And some people just do that until they figure out how to really get a hold on things. And luckily you had a support right. system like, like Marissa and, and you found a passion in these kids that really made you want to kind of stop 
faking it and really figure out how to make it and how to make it true and how to make it happen. Um, so again, huge shout out to them. I, I always say we're, we're nothing. We, we don't really stand a chance in our recovery without our support systems, without the people that are there for us, without the true. people that help us get through it. Um, that is huge. Um, I do want to talk about the, the, your, I guess your outlook on the whole 12 step program, so to speak. Now, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't mean this in like a political way. I don't mean this in a, there's only mm -hmm. one way because I also preface, I've, I've done many, many interviews here now at this point. And, you know, I'd say probably way more than half of the people on that I've done an interview with, they find, they find their, their sobriety or their recovery by, by starting off working a program in either AA or NA. Um, so I've said many right. times, you know, I'm not, I, I, I don't, I, we are not endorsed or supported by AA by any means. I don't speak for the program. I don't speak for anybody. You know, usually it's just like, you know, AA worked for me personally. If I'm interviewing someone that did, it's like, cool, like this worked for us. I'm not saying this is the only way yeah. to do it. I support all ways. We've had people that have done smart recovery. Um, we've had people that mm -hmm. have just used other online tools. So I know there's a lot of things out there. Um, and, and I agree too, like, you know, it's, and again, it's, it's definitely not for everybody. And like you pointed out with those kids behind the pickup truck, you know, they, they weren't going about it the right way because lying, cheating, being dishonest, that's not the way to fix the problem, but it brought no. something to your eyes that you needed to address that you needed to work on. Um, yeah. with that being said, do you, or have you given any attempts at working any of those, those programs yourself? Have you at least like tried it and, you know, even if it doesn't work for you. And, and again, that's, that's, you know, those are all personal aspects, but like, have you given yeah. those a shot yourself to kind of see where you fit there? Right. No, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very good question. It's a very good question. And, you know, start starting to answer that through the, the lenses of when I was working with those youth, all those years back, part of my job was to take them to 12 step meetings. So I take these kids to these 12 step meetings so first time I'd ever been exposed to 12. I had no idea. Now also real quick, when you existed. say kids, what's like, what are, what are their actual ages here? Like, what's so when like I first range? started, yeah, when I first started, these were kids that were about age 12 to age, you know, 17, 18. And okay. so they were teenagers, right? And so this is a, a youth treatment center here in, in Utah. And so part of my job was to take these kids who have addiction issues to 12 step meetings. And I noticed, you know, that um, I, I'd never been to these. So I, again, this is early in my recovery. So I sat and just listened. I didn't say a word. I wasn't supposed to share anything because here I'm the staff of these kids. But I listened for about four years to all these stories and all these people. And I'm a firm believer that if you work the 12 steps, they will absolutely work 100%. Most people have a hard time with them because it requires you to do some out of the box thinking and some out of the box work. I love the 12 steps. I would never speak ill of them. Um, now, obviously there's the you know, addict athletes very different, but it's just another modality. It's not a replacement for, it's just an addition to. And so I see this kind of stuff and I, and I, and I started noticing there were some trends. I started seeing that there was in the meetings that I started noticing, there was some, there were some folks that almost used it even as a crutch. And I'm like, okay, well, this is weird. You know, and I'm started and I'm going through school and I'm seeing my own recovery um, and I'm noticing that uh, the way that the, the newcomer, you know, you know, after they relapse and stuff and, and I get it, I get the 12 steps. Like I said, I love them, 
but there were some fundamental things that as I started to notice, I'm like, okay, now I like this, but for me, I think that there is power. You know, I don't know how powerless we truly are. I think that we can have power and power is even just the energy it takes to you know, pick up the phone and ask for help. And the identification aspect, you know, one of the biggest hurdles we had on team addict to athlete was when I said, Hey guys, you were an addict. Now you're an athlete and, and uh, trying to show people that like, it's a part of you. It doesn't have to be who you are because when we, when the self-affirmation was like this, the most powerful words you can say in the English language are I am anything that follows that is absolute truth. And so I feel, I truly believe that if we identify ourselves solely as something that has a negative connotation to it as our, our, I am, then we have excuses to always be that. And so I, I, I say, Hey, it's good. I'm glad you identified that you were because you needed to have that foundation in order to build on it. Um, well, we don't. I call, I call them athletes. Um, and we talk about the erase and replace philosophy, which means that you got to be action oriented. But I love the 12 step programs for that matter. And I, th- I would never speak ill of them. Now, it's great because, you know, again, the problem I see with the 12 step programs is that, you know, and I was an owner of a, of a residential treatment center for several years. And I got out of that industry because it, I, it is the most cutthroat, disgusting industry you'll ever you'll ever be a part of. So when you see some of the dark corners of these places, I'm like, Mm-mm. but I don't like what what treatment has done to the 12 steps. Um, they've actually put them. I mean, you have programs you know, that you'll pay for thousands and thousands of dollars a month to get a 12 step program. And I'm like, that's never what Bill and Bob wanted them to be. They were never designed for that. And so treatment has done a horrible job of dumbing them down and making them so people can only get to a certain step before they're released. And usually it's about step four when kind of the rubber hits the road and you got to start making some, some deeper investments. And that's where people kind of get sidetracked. And so I think the treatment industry has done a horrible job at trying to use the 12 steps as their content for their program. I think that's very disrespectful and I don't appreciate that at all because I've seen the damage that it does. So why would you pay thousands of dollars when you can go and get a sponsor and do them authentically for free the way it was designed, right? That makes And so that's the biggest thing I have. I do not like that. And then we start seeing people that don't understand how to be sponsors with the 12 steps. And they think, hey, one step a month, 12, 12 steps, that's a year of sobriety. Heck yeah. So they slow them down. The original steps were designed to be done in less than 30 days. And I think it's kind of an interesting thing because once you get to step 12, if you are authentically doing these, that's the service part. That's what really holds people, you know, to, to, to sobriety is serving without expectation, serving out of inconvenience. So what team addict athlete founded itself upon is, is serving first. I mean, we do a lot of recreation, but I'll tell you, our service stuff is off the charts. We do more service than we ever do athletics. And so, I love the core concept of the 12 steps. They're guaranteed to work if you work them correctly. Um, the anonymous part too, I think nowadays anonymity will kill us. We're not supposed to be anonymous. I, We've got to be able agree. to share this. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I will, I will say too. So to, to kind of before I throw some of my opinion on there, um, yeah. I kind of want to summarize too for our listeners who, who, might've thought early on in, in your first part, when you were telling your story, um, that you kind of had a problem with the 12 step program. Um, I, I think, I think you made it very clear there that you didn't, you definitely didn't have a, a problem with the 12 step program, but just what, what certain treatment and recovery 
places have done to it and and what Mm -hmm. some of the facilities have done to it. Um, And it kind of almost makes me believe too, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to speak for you, but for some of these 12 to 17, 18 year olds that you were working with, had they not had to do that through those facilities, had they, you know, just met blue out on the streets, out on a run and blue said, Hey, you know, I got this really cool place. We can go for an hour where you can hear other people talk and kind of left it up to them. Um, They might've had a different taste in their mouth about it as well. If it wasn't being jammed down their throat, you have to do this at this time and you have to do this before you can go here. Because I think that's what will also unfortunately lead to people sometimes, you know, trying to fake a signature and doing this and that Um, because it's something that, so I actually just kind of put this on like my, my new YouTube channel as well. Cause I heard this on another podcast and it, the, the particular topic in which I spoke about is, you know, recovery and sobriety isn't for those that need it. It's for those that want it. Yeah. You know, we all know a lot of people out there that might need help that might need recovery. You know, we can, we, we can all have our own opinions on other people, um, especially when we sober up, I think whether it's right or wrong, I think once we, we kind of look through those sober glasses, I think sometimes those lenses make you, I don't want to say pick on people, but you kind of notice people's tendencies and things you might've been doing or seeing. And you kind of think like this person may or may not have a problem, but you also know, that's not my position to say, you know, I just got to fall back. If they have any questions for me, if they want to come talk to me, cool but someone has to, has to want it. It doesn't matter if you try and jam it down their throat. It's not, if I tell you, you have to go to this meeting every day at noon, you might go for a while, but what are you really getting out of it? But if I fall back a little bit and I say, Hey, this might work for you. Eventually you might go. And when you want to go, when you want to be there is when you're going to hear it for what it's supposed to be. And that's when you're, you might start taking the step seriously and you might start working them the way you're supposed to. Um, I also agree with you that some people try and, you know, make the steps take longer. I don't want to say longer than they should because everyone goes at a different pace, Mm -hmm. but I think that's, what's most important is that people should have the opportunity to go at a pace that works for them. And I think that's where it really falls on, you know, a good sponsor to really know their sponsees pace and their mindset. And, you know, uh, I know when I first got into the program, the first, uh, when I was going through the steps, my first time, you know, I was, a, I need to keep going. I'm, I'm an all in balls to the wall kind of guy. I want to yeah. work this step. I want to work this step. Like if they would have told me that you got to do a step a month to get to 12 steps, I might've fell back a little bit. Yeah. Luckily my sponsor realized that. And he was like, all right, cool. Like you got to show me you're serious about this. And you know, we there's, there's work to it. You can't just say you did this or you did that, but you know, we'll move faster if you need to move faster. Um, and then I Brilliant. think you're, I think we're always working steps 11 and 12. You, you yeah. know, that's something you have to work for the rest of your life. Um, and, and like you said, service too, it's, yeah. it's huge because we only in sobriety and recovery, we only get the people we're willing to give back to others. Spot um, on. And it's, it's, you know, that's, that's something I heard early on, um, through, through a very good friend of mine who actually his episode is coming out tomorrow. So by the time anyone's hearing this interview, um, that episode with Justin Wargo is already aired, but he's one of my personal best friends. He's like a brother to me here in my hometown. He's been like an unofficial sponsor to me. And he heard that through someone who, who kind of helped him in his early sobriety. And he passed that on to me. 
Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's really huge. That, and so we, we really only do get to keep what we're willing to give away to others. You're um, right, man. You're right. And, and me as a therapist in, in the 20 years that I've been doing this now, you know, I tell all my athletes, all my clients, you are not in active recovery unless you know all the 12 steps. I mean, even if they don't practice them, you know, like we, we have a whole different model. But I'm a firm believer that like you've got to, I mean, if you're an American, you've got to know the, the Pledge of Allegiance. You got to know like, like you know, the, uh, you know, the, the things that make, make us who we are. Just like in recovery, you've got to know the 12 steps, even if you don't work them, because there's powerful principle in every one of those. If it wasn't, they wouldn't be where they are today. And so I'm firm on that, too. So what I talk about with my athletes is, look, you know, because this happened at the beginning, 10 years ago, when we first started they'd walk in with their addict athlete jerseys in and sit down in a meeting. I'm like, you guys are idiots. I'll kick you off the team. If you ever pull that again, because they'll, they'd go in there and they'd be like, you know, uh, hello, I'm, I'm blue and I'm an athlete. I'm like, don't disrespect that tradition at all. And the funny part about it too, is that, um, you know, when, when we first started, you know, again, there's some territorial stuff going on. It was weird, but it, 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 it you know, it, it settled down. But that's the thing too, is I'm, I tell them like, you have to know these things, whether, whether you work them or not. I, I feel like that's a precursor to anyone's sobriety is at least knowing and acknowledging that those principles are real. You can't argue with, with real principle, right? I mean, the first, the first step, the principle, the first step is honesty, right? I mean, that's a principle we all have to live by and, and all of them have these principles. So I'm with you on that too, brother. I would never, I would never like say, you know, that, that addict to athlete is, is the only way it's just another way. So I tell my athletes, my clients, I'm like, look, go to the 12 steps for your spiritual side and, and for your accountability side, come to addict to athlete for the team, for the, for the support and, and, and for the service. And then, you know, go to therapy for your, your emotional, your stuff. And then you've got this triad of care. That's like off the chain. And so that's yes. kind of the way that I teach them to, to, to work their recovery. That's exactly. And that's, that's my same exact mindset with the staying fit ODAC community as mm -hmm. well with, with the Facebook page. Um, you know, the, the page just started off as a few people when I needed help as well. And I needed other people to talk to. Um, and you know, the page is over 700 members deep right now as well. Nice. Um, and it's, it's the same thing. I try and tell people, you know, we're not a program, you know, it's, it's not like it's, it's, it's going to help keep you sober, but it's, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's not like I, I would suggest finding something as well outside of there, whether it be, you know, a, a, n a smart recovery, your church, your family, you know, whatever is going to work for you, whatever your support system is going to be work a program. I'm not telling you which program to work, but work a program. Right and then, and when, when you know what's going on, like, the, the ODAC community, the staying fit ODAC page is a great place to come in and, you know, say, Hey, I was at this wedding and this guy tried to give me a drink. And this is, this is how I overcame that. And this is, this is how I still left that wedding sober. And, you know, this is what I did when I had to Love go it. to that funeral of a family member. And, you know, on top of that tonight, I'm going to run 10 miles and I'm getting ready for my first marathon. And I just had my first bib pickup and, you know, we just, I just deadlifted this much, or I just, I just power clean this much. And I just broke a PR in my CrossFit Love class, it. or, you know, I just got my, my first hundred mile bike ride down a mountain or whatever the case may be. It's a place where you can share what you're doing, what your accomplishments are, what your goals are. And that's kind of where, where this all came to fruition. So I, I absolutely love what you're doing with addict to athlete. It's, it's, you know, pretty much it's, it's, it's pretty much an older version of what I'm trying to do now. 
and, yeah. and pretty much where I'm starting. So, which gets me as well to, um, you know, the, or sorry, I, I do have a question for you, but first I mm -hmm. also really wanted to agree with you on the, the anonymity part. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of that I think was also in an older time. Right. Um, it's, and things are different now in 2021, there's social media. Everyone always has their camera out. I mean, you can't, you can't take a shit in private right now <laughs> That's right, man. Um, without, you without someone finding out. It's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so with that being said, you know, I am very, very, very respectful of people that want to stay anonymous. We have, Absolutely. again, we have people in the ODAT page, you know, who, don't want to be on the podcast. They, you know, they might not share, they might not say this or do that. And, you know, that's why I don't, I don't say names outside of the page and whatnot, because, you know, sometimes people want to stay anonymous in there and I won't say names of things I heard in meetings and whatnot, because I want to respect other people's anonymity. But I also believe that no one, and I say this very respectfully, but no one is going to tell me that I have to stay anonymous Yeah, because I am not going to, I will shout it from the top of the fucking mountain. My it. name is Miguel. I'm an alcoholic and here's what I'm doing. About here it, it is. Here, here it. it is. Put it out there. You know, you can like, I don't know if you ever seen the eight, the movie eight mile, but of you course. know, I'm coming, I'm coming into that final battle rap and I'm going to say everything that there is about me. Yeah. I fucked up. Yeah. I have a shitty relationship with my kids. Yeah. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, I've I've stole from people. Yeah, I've lied to people. But here I am now. You want to talk about that? Cool. Yeah. But I also want to talk about this. And this is where I am. And this is what I'm doing. And this is how I'm trying to become a better person every single day. And I'm not going to give up on that. And I'm not going to be shy about that. Because I also believe that if everyone stayed quiet about it, and if everyone stayed super low key about it, then our communities wouldn't be the way they are. No. You and I wouldn't have an opportunity to do things because no one would want to show up because they would, they would be scared and they would think they have to hide in their room. And yep. you know, how much, how much success and sobriety are they really getting? How happy can you really be if you have to just hide everything and keep it quiet? Um, <sighs> so I, I love that you pointed that out as well. Um, a personal question that I have for you, mm -hmm. um, you know, this isn't even really for the listeners. This is just from me. So yeah. I, I teamed up with a local recovery community called Sync Recovery, and uh, we've been promoting this now for a couple months, but next week I'm actually starting a couch to 5K. Oh, yes. I'm also a run coach myself, and so this for this particular recovery community, this is their first couch to 5K. I was fortunate enough that um, we teamed up. They're letting me do it, and so I'm, like, really, really excited. I'm doing uh, – I'm giving them a plan that they can do at home as well, but we're specifically meeting up once a week at a local track to kind of work on like intervals, speed work, so to speak, and just kind of like the harder day. And yeah. then we're meeting up once a week on a, on a flat trail where we can just kind of get like our longer runs, so to speak, and just, and get Very some of that cool. stuff done. And then it's going to culminate with a 5k in October. Yes. So for, for me as the coach, um, what are some things that you can tell me that I, that I can expect and kind of like what, I know you kind of talked about it, but like, mm. what, what can I expect? Like when I'm watching these people cross the finish line, like, I, I feel like, I'm, I feel like I'm going to cry. I'm already yeah. getting like emotional no, thinking about you it. Will. Um, and it's just like, what, what can I really expect while I'm out there? You, you will. And, and this is, this is why when we, when I started addict to athlete in 2011, this is why I believe it works. 
And it's because our, our core, our core method of working out is running because running sucks, right? I think running's for criminals, but when you feel good <laughs> when you're done and, and the coolest part about this is the metaphors that it brings. So here's the funny thing is that time I told you about Janice when I was running and she breaks down and starts telling me like, I give up on myself. I've had hundreds of conversations with my athletes about all kinds of things in life. So you know, back in the day, 10, 10 years ago, when I'm running with my clients and they start opening up to me and they're telling me about these things they never told me in my office, I thought, man, I'm breaking new ground here. There's some, there's something to this, something weird. I started seeing that motion releases emotion. It doesn't matter what we're doing. And then all of a sudden, years later, I find out there's this, there's this therapeutic modality called EMDR. It's called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It helps process trauma. And it's done so by left-right brain stimulation, typically through eye movement, left-to-right eye movement with a, with a trained and certified professional. I got trained and certified in it. And what I realized is that's what we're doing. When you're running, it's left-right brain stimulation. So you start to process all your trauma. And so th- I just said, there's, a, there's an article I'll send to you after this that's in Runner's World that talks about how people will start crying in runs. And I never, I'm like, it's true. There've been times like when I've, my very first ultra marathon, my very first 50 miler I ever did, when I was coming down, I was so excited, but I started bawling. I'm like, what is this? It's because we're processing trauma. Our bodies are designed to let this stuff go this way. You start looking after, um, after like, like national tragedies, September 11th, these things, like running shoe sales, race events started selling out, race shoes started increasing because we have this primal instinct to, to want to run, not away but because of, and it's kind of this cool thing. So you will get to be part of something so special that I got to see 10 years ago and still get to see, which is them pushing themselves, them not believing they can do it, them being able to to process their why while they're out there. Because really each each person's why is so different, but you'll be able to start seeing the ones who, who like are leaving it all out there. So there'll be times I'll say, hey, I want you guys, like a new a new athlete, I'll say, What's something that's holding you back? And they'll say like guilt. And so I'll have them write guilt on the bottom of their shoe, Sharpie marker, go for their run, come back, look at it. It's almost gone. You can barely see it. I'm like, it's gone. It's out there. Let's talk about that. There's so many metaphors to this that are so powerful. And the cool thing about it is I talk about this all the time with my new athletes. It's like, how far are we running? And I'm like, we're running to the horizon, right? And they're like, whoa, the horizon, and the cool part about this is the metaphor behind it, right? Here in recovery and sobriety, we're always running to the horizon. And there's this ultra marathon I've done out in, in the, the West Desert, the Pony Express Trail, it's a 50 mile ultra marathon out there. And literally you run to the, the horizon. And when you run to it, you think you're there, but guess what happens when you reach the horizon? It flipping changes. So by the time <laughs> you reach the horizon, there's another one super far away. And you're like, what the crap, right? But you can always turn around and see how far you've come. And so I stop my athletes and I say, hey, look, look how far you've come. Look how far you've come in recovery. Remember when you first came here and you're like, I don't want to be here. You know, I hate all of you. I'm like, now look. Remember that time you didn't think you could, you could overcome that, that, that relationship with your parents or with your kid? Now look. Or, hey, do you remember when we, we passed that, you know, that, that, uh, that garbage can over there? Remember how bad that smell? And so we talk about this being the theory of the gap, meaning we're always in the gap. We're never going to reach the horizon. It's just, it's just always going to change, but it's the progression and then turning around, seeing how far you've come. So you're in store for a lot of cool experiences. And I, I would love for, for us to link up. And so that, uh, you know, the two groups can, can kind of cheer each other on because, 
you know, you, you, you're, you're going to love the support. One of the neatest things instinctively that I didn't teach, but just happened. I want you to be aware of this. When your athletes cross the finish line, I'll get emotional talk about this. And this is one of the neatest things I ever saw. When your athletes cross the finish line, they'll go back out on the course and pick up the ones who haven't finished yet. And so what happens is pretty soon, you know, you have all these people. I remember one time, one of our athletes was coming in last and all of those who finished went out there and picked her up. And so when she finished, you couldn't tell. And that was one of her worst fears is I don't want to finish last. And she didn't because her team went back out and picked her up. That's not something I taught. That's something instinctively they've done. And I've seen it time in and time out when our chapter opened up the Utah State Prison and the prisoners did a 5K run. It's a very exclusive 5K, right? You got to be in prison to run this. They invited me <laughs> to come up and run it with them. We're doing 30 laps around this indoor dirt track. And even the inmates instinctively went out and, and ran in their, their, their comrades, their, 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 their fellow athletes. And the guard stood next to me. He's like, I've never seen them cheer for each other. So you're seeing this organic change. And a lot of it's because of that, that EMDR, that processing of all their garbage. And I'm telling you, man, one of the best things to do is to allow them to talk about it. They move from addict to athlete, you know, addict to runner. And then they become, if they can do that, then they can become addict to runner, to father, to scholar, to artist, to, to employee. And they, they make sense. it just keeps building. And then their mess becomes their message. That's why anonymity, I get it. And those that don't want to talk, I, I get them too. But even they will have the opportunity to turn their mess into a message and share that because I firmly believe that people with addictions have the power to inspire so many people if they'll just look at, see how far they've come and share it. It's one of the neatest things. So I, I'm, I'm excited for you, brother, because I get to kind of now feel what I felt when I'm sitting there watching. I mean, one, in, one race instantly, like you know, a couple of months after that first race, I'm up in Salt Lake City, Utah, watching my athletes run. And I look down the, 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 the finishing shoot about a block and a half. And I see one of my athletes pop around the corner. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he, he's going to win. And I'm like, one of my athletes is going to win. And all wow. of a sudden I see him start slowing down and he looks behind him and he kneels down like he's tying his shoe. And I'm like, Brandon, I'm like screaming, dude, run. Like, what are you doing? You know? And another person pops around the corner and finishes and then another one. And he's still on the ground. I'm like, is he hurt? And I'm like looking at him. And then he stands up and starts to kind of trot in and another person finishes. He finished fourth. He could have been first. And he comes walking in and I'm like, Brandon, what the freak was that, man? And he's like, oh, you saw that? I'm like, dude, we all saw that. What happened? Are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, what were you doing? And he, dude, he just dropped his head and he's like, I'll get emotional. He's like, I didn't want to win. I'm like, why? He's like, because people wouldn't believe me. I'm an addict, Blue. Like, they're not going to believe me. I'm like, did you cheat? He's like, no. I'm like, don't you ever do that again don't you ever take a knee when you know the finish line is right there so he didn't believe enough in himself that he could finish because people would question him because he was an addict and i'm like don't you ever do that again man that was one of the craziest things but be prepared for those things to be thinking outside of the box when you see your athletes because they're going to give you a ton of excuses but one of the coolest things between me and you and we won't tell the listeners this is that i love saturday morning events Saturday morning races, Sunday morning races, because I know where my athletes are going to be Friday night, Saturday night. They're going to be out partying. They're going to be out screwing around. They're going to be preparing themselves. They're going to be eating well. They're going to be hydrating. They're going to be you know, putting up their race clothes. They're going to be making sure their bibs on right, all this stuff. And I love that because 
I know where they're going to be Friday night because I see them Saturday morning for the run. One of the neatest things, there's a lot of sweet little things like that you'll notice, but just be prepared, man, because there's some cool things on the horizon for you and your team. Oh man, that story made me emotional, man. I'm, yeah. I'm literally wiping tears out my eyes. That's, yeah. that's, it's, it's like heartbreaking and like spiritual at the same time. It's man, yeah. that's, that's rough. Um, so on, on a personal, on, on your personal fitness journey, Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about some of the stuff that you have done. Um, aside from everything you've done with Addict to Athlete, what are some of you know your proudest personal fitness accomplishments? Whether it be running, biking, powerlifting, whatever the case may be, like what are probably your like top five personal fitness accomplishments? Man, thank you for asking. It's kind of cool. Being the coach, you don't really talk about your own endeavors, right? You kind of just you know promote everybody else. But, you know, for me, um, the, the, the number one thing for me was finishing that very first marathon in St. George, Utah with my father-in-law, because again, that was kind of the, you can marry my daughter if you can finish a marathon. And it was everything that I learned with him training for this marathon and not realizing how flipping hard that was. Um, so to me, that was, that was kind of like my crowning jewel. Cause that's kind you of remember your woke time? me up. Yeah. 404 from my very first marathon, wow. four hours, that's four pretty, minutes. That's pretty fucking fast for your yeah, first dude, one. It was, it was nuts. Um, the second one would be, um, you know, I would say the first time I ever ran an ultra marathon, which was the 50 mile Pony Express Trail. And the reason why that one was so unique and special to me is because I never, I never wanted to run an ultra marathon. 26.2 was enough, but anything above 26.2 is considered an ultra marathon. Mm-hmm. And so um, early on in the team's inception, uh, we were running 5Ks. And one day, uh, one of my athletes said, hey, we're running this, this 5K down here. Come, come join us, coach. I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. But that morning I open up the window and it's raining. And I'm like, I don't want to get wet, man. So I'm such a, I'm such a puss. I like text him. I say, Hey, Keith, I'm um, sorry, man. I'm, I'm a little bit busy. Today. I'm not going to make it to the run. And he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. And Keith was one of my original athletes, that original five. And he's like, man, no worries, man. But then later on, I look at social media and I see a picture of him and his daughter and his daughter is running with him who was in state's custody because of his addiction. And that was the first time she got to come and run with her dad. And I felt like the biggest ask because I'm like, because I didn't want to get wet. I missed what he was working for. We talked about this. I had no idea she was going to come run with him. And so because I didn't want to get wet, I stayed back. And so I said, Keith, that'll never happen again, man. I apologize. I'm like, you pick the race. I'm there. And he's like, okay, Pony Express 50. And I'm like, oh, piss, man. <laughs> now, I'm telling you, Keith was one of my clients too. And so here's now the therapist now running with you know Keith and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm like, Okay, here we go. And man, I'll tell you, like I did it. And, and it was because of him. I would never have done it if it wasn't for my client challenging me. Let's put your, put your money where your mouth is. So finishing, finishing that ultra marathon was amazing. The third one would be my, my Hoodoo 500. Uh, it's a 500 mile bike race through the, the Southern mountains of, of Utah. And, you know, man, it, it took, it took, uh, what was it? Um, let's see, 40, 47 hours to finish. It was nuts. You know, it's a 500 mile bike race, 32,000 feet of climbing. It was nuts, man. It was crazy. And so that was nuts. And then the final one, I've done tons of triathlons and all this kind of stuff, but probably the final one was completing the Squaw Peak 50 mile ultra marathon. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a mountain marathon here in the foothills where I'm at. And it's cool because I was running with my team, all the athletes, all these people who, who have been labeled as addicts and no goods and throwaways. And I'm running with my team. And one of the coolest parts was I was running a section. This lady comes up to me and she's like, hey, addict to athlete. She's like, you know, we run our, our running jerseys. And she's like, 
man, that's such a great program. And she's like telling me about how, how much she's in, she's heard about it and everything that she, that her brother who is an addict could benefit from. And she's telling me how the program works. And I'm just like, dude, this is so cool. I didn't tell her, yeah, I'm the creator of addict. I didn't say anything like that. Cause I'm like, who cares? But it was awesome to like hear how the public has, has seen this because we do things different. We have people that have addictions and people that don't have addictions come be a part of team addict athletes. So we don't separate them like, you know, Al-Anon and AA, we combine them. We call it the, the, the home team and the athletes and we put them together. And then probably the last and final, like big thing that I've been love to be a part of was uh, our, uh, our minor league um, 50 mile relay. So addict athlete, we found out real, real soon that when our, our folks came in to get treatment and get, get help and to, you know, use addict athlete as a mechanism for recovery, they started bringing their kids with them because it was a safe meeting, right? You know, the, the, the language is clean. We don't smoke or drink coffee afterwards because we're going out and running. And so they started bringing their kids with them. And so we started what's called the addict to athlete minor league for the 18 year and younger group. And this 50 mile ultra marathon was segmented into, into like, you know, like little relay sections, five miles each. And I got to run with my two girls um, because they've been a part of this journey since the beginning too. And so here I got to run with my kids, you know, an hour of just me and them, obviously. And man, I'll tell you, brother, it was so cool just to be with them and to be like, what do you guys think of this? Like, you know, this is the reason why we have addict athletes is because you guys allow me to do this. Now, this is, this is the fruits of the labor. What do you guys think? And each kid, you know, was running with their addicted parent once, you know, they're like in recovery and just watching these kids beat three professional teams. I'm like, yeah, but those, that 10 mile section, I got to run with my girls. I'll, I'll cherish forever, man, because that's like me showing them like, this is what I do. So it's, those are the, those are the crown jewels of, uh, of, of all the stuff that, that I do, but you know, I love good, it. good time. Good stuff. And by the way, I love the shirt and the hat, man. I'm going to need, I'm going to yeah. need, I'm going to need a, a, a Jersey and a hat so I can, so I can show some support from out here in Pennsylvania as well. we'll send some stuff out to you, brother. Oh, Absolutely. I love, I love it. We're going to have to exchange contact. If I'm going to just get yeah. We might have just met today, but you're a fucking brother to me now already. I'm just, Thanks, man. I feel I'm the just, same way about you. I'm just gonna Absolutely. give you my phone number at the end of this. I don't even give a shit. <laughs> like it. this, yeah, we're 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 those guys now, yeah. um, for sure. And there's gonna, I see a lot of stuff in our future working together. Um, for sure. How can people for for our listeners? How can they get involved with Addict to Athlete? How can how can they follow your journey? How can they follow? coach blue robinson how can like this is just plug the shit out of yourself all of your social medias and i'm going to put all the links in the podcast episode as well but Thanks, for man. for people listening right now just this is say anything and everything you want to say right now that's awesome the first the first place you can find us is addict athletes a 501c3 nonprofit, which means that we we do everything for this team and so what we've done is created an amazing website addicttoathlete.org you can jump on there and we've have we have we have hundreds of podcasts with professional sports you know i mean we got we got nfl football players all kinds of people that feel the message of 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 addict to athletes or race and replace mentality so jump on the website um that's the best place to find contact information we have we have an online certification to become a certified coach of addict to athletes you can open your own chapter in your community um, and kind of fly under the banner of addict to athlete and using our 501c3 nonprofit status it's a it's a 40 hour like kind of intense clinical training program 
to open up a chapter, we have a brand new online recovery program, which is kind of like a substitute for, 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 for treatment. Because again, I owned a treatment center and I'm like, we can do this cheaper and more effectively. So that's on there. Our social media, we're Addict to Athlete on Facebook, on Instagram, on flipping TikTok. I mean, come on, man. So we're all over the place on social media. Our Instagram, you know, it's the best place, but we do the same thing. Our, 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 um, our, our Facebook page is huge for, for participation recovery. We have people from all over the world that participate in it. And so, you know, you've got a teammate in anybody that's in recovery. It doesn't matter. That's why I'm excited to get to know your program more to, to, to line up and do some stuff with you guys because great minds think alike and there's a lot of help out there that needs to be rendered. And so we do do this combined. I, I love it. So yeah, man, that's the best way to find us yeah, on our website. You can find blue at addicttoathlete.org or Marissa at addicttoathlete.org for more information. But man, just... You, you look you look for Blue Robinson or Addict T.O. Athlete or, or Roman numeral I.I. And that's it, man. So, yeah, that's how you find us. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll have again, I'll have the links there in the show notes as well. So anybody listening can just click a link and, and follow more. And it's it's super awesome. Um, so for for our listeners out there who. I believe I have a bunch of different type of listeners here. So for, for the ones who might have already came into this episode sober and are, and are struggling, um, you know, they might be thinking about picking up a drink or a drug today, or they yeah. might be struggling with mental health issues and they might be thinking about doing something unsafe for those listeners that might be thinking about picking up or for the listeners who haven't quite put the drink or the drug down yet and are looking for, you know, the reason or the motivation to put that drink down for those people out there that are listening and, and they need to hear that next thing um, that can either prevent them from picking up or help them put it down. What, what would coach blue say to that person that's listening right now? That's a great question, brother. Thank you for asking that. You know, I think that for, for those that are on the fence of, of, you know, willing to, to throw in the towel and what we call take a knee and get back into it. Um, again, remember how far you've come. Whenever we get into a hard part in the middle, that's exactly where we are. Think about any movie that you love. I, you know, I like, I like Rudy, the movie Rudy, right? <laughs> Sean Astin, he's a, he's a friend of mine, Sean Astin. And uh, when, we were, when, when uh, we were talking about this with him too, it was kind of interesting because you know, when you look at Rudy, it starts off great. There's a super hard part in the middle and it finishes strong. And so I like to teach my, my athletes and those I work with, and for those who are on the fence of like, if you're going through a hard part, congratulations, you're in the middle. Your story's not over yet. There's still that time for, for that comeback. For, you know, and everyone loves a good comeback story. You know? so, so get yourself up off the bench. You know, get, up, get up from that knee you took and dust yourself off and then lean into it. You've got grit and you've got stamina and use it. And, and, I, and I love, I love working with, with those folks that just feel like, what's the point, you know, um, you're, you're, you're one, you're one interaction away from changing the world. And I think sometimes you don't really understand that, but that's what beautiful, that's the beautiful part about running is, you know, you will leave it behind. And so if you have a hard part right now, you're in the middle, your story's not over. We call it, you know, taking the champion's challenge, you know, making sure that you can, you can finish strong doing it, even if it's not your job, um, you know, uh, becoming an agent of recovery, which means not seeing the scarcity of life, but seeing the abundance of what you have, becoming a producer and a creator instead of a consumer, and really just kind of lean into it, right, and reach out. You've got a team behind you. 
Um, that's the cool part about what you're doing and what Team Magic Athlete offers is, is you got the team behind you. You're not alone. No one finishes alone. And for those who, who, are, who are thinking about, you know, putting it down and starting, um, you know, it's kind of like you, you've got this, this mindset of, uh, of a, a DNF, which is if you've ever done a race and you, you don't, you know, you're in the middle of it and something hard or something bad or something traumatic happens and you can't finish that race, it'll go down and record it as a DNF, you know, Blue Robinson, you know, St. George Marathon, DNF, did not finish. We don't ever want a DNF, you know, but... There's also the, I'm not even going to line up for the race. And if you don't start the race, you recorded as a DNS, did not start. I would much rather help you pick up where you left off with a DNF than to try and convince you to line up, get a DNS. Don't get the DNS, line up, start the race. Even if you walk, you know, tortoise in the hair, you'll get there one step in front of the other. You'll, you'll eventually get there everyone's motivated by something, find that something and lean into it. It's one of the most beautiful things and use your team, use your team, reach out. You know, what, what you've got going here is, is amazing. And I love, I can feel the energy all the way out here. Cause I, I, I know what it was like when I first thought of like, Hey, I'm going to try this. It's exactly where you are. So all of you who are hearing this, who are in the, the realm of being able to be one of the first take advantage of it. Because you'll, you're the rookies that will soon become the professionals that will help people, you know, years to come. So lean into it. I love it. I love it. So, yes, if you're listening, just know if, if today is a struggle for you, just know Coach Blue just told you you're only in the middle of your story and you definitely have a chance to continue writing your ending. Um, and I, I've said on a couple episodes before as well, you know, people are scared to, to, to get DFL, but DFL is better than DNF. Because if you're not, I'm sure, you know, DFL dead fucking last Yeah, um, that that's better than DNF. And, and, you know, even for those that, that showed up and struggled and got a DNF, you're still better than the DNS because that person didn't even show up. So just, yep. just show up, get to the line and start everything else, figure it out. Everything else is almost fuck it, but just show up at the line and start. Cause that's, that's all you got to do is just show up. This has just been so powerful today. Um, like I said, we we just got a chance to like actually meet today because all of my interactions have been with your wife, Marissa. So yeah. definitely shout out Marissa for, for being very prompt with the emails, making sure everything was done, making sure the responses were there. Um, you know, just, just like uh, my awesome wife who just, you know, I need her for everything. You know, they just, they, they get us to show up and then, you know, they just, they just push us, they hold us down. There are rocks and, you know, so shout out, Marissa. I appreciate you. We all appreciate you because uh, you made this happen. You got Coach Blue here. Mm -hmm. This is a very, very special story. I feel like I made a, a friend, a brother. Like I said, yes. I'm. we're exchanging all contact information after this because you're just an amazing human being. And I can't wait to talk more, do more things with you. This is just this has been a super, super fun episode. Thank you. Um, you know, on behalf of everybody listening on behalf of everybody in the Staying Fit ODAC community on the Facebook page, all of our podcast listeners today, Coach Blue, we just want you to continue staying healthy, continue staying fit. And brother, tell us how you're doing it. One day at a time. I absolutely love it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Staying Fit ODAC. If you yourself identify as someone in recovery, whether it be from alcoholism, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, or any other type of mental health issue, then please join the group 
on Facebook at StayingFitODAAT, three different words. If you do not identify as someone in recovery, but you like everything we have going on and you want to continue staying in the loop with everything, then please follow us on Instagram at StayingFitODAAT. You can also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at StayingFitODAAT at gmail.com. Until next time, just know you're loved, continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and please keep doing this one day at a time.